This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 143, about Jessica Jones, season 2, episode 5, a.k.a. The Octopus. Welcome back, fellow Defenders, to this episode of Defenders TV podcast number 143, all about AKA The Octopus, episode 5 of season 2, Jessica Jones. Yes, welcome back, super ladies and super gentlemen and fellow Defenders. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. And I am the nominal Chris Jones. I've been using titular for the last while, so I decided to get a similar <laughs> titular, and I'm going for nominal in this episode. I like it, Chris. I like it. It's Thank excellent. <laughs> yes, the nominal. How are we doing? Five episodes in so of Jessica Jones so far. Yeah, loving it. Yeah. And we get a bit of octopusy in this episode yeah. with the aquarium. Yeah, cool. Although I did think the octopus was in a very small tank. I kind of felt slightly sorry for it. I did, yeah, I must say. I know they can fit through, what, a sort of a centimetre diameter or something like that, because they've got no bones, but I was thinking, give it some space, lads. Give it some space. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with that one. I'm like, <laughs> moving swiftly on. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So if you are not already aware, you can head on over to stitcher.com forward slash premium, and you can use our code our promo code defenders and to get a a month free uh, to listen to wolverine the long night which is a marvel story podcast uh, all about little wolvie and starring the absolutely fantastic richard armitage first two episodes are already released um, and you can get a free month up until september the end of september 2018 and of course it was out on monday the 12th of march 2018 as well so head on over and yeah use our promo code defenders to get a free month of stitcher premium and at least there are two episodes waiting for you in fact dare i say it three at this stage Mm -hmm. um waiting for you to listen to the wolverine the Long Night Podcast. Yes, yeah, Stitcher really surprised us after uh, after telling us there was going to be one episode a week. There's actually been two released on uh, on March 12th, which I've listened to both of them. Really interesting storyline, very different um, so for what I was expecting. Uh, the show itself is much more of a bit of a mystery of what's going on. Uh, Wolvie doesn't appear early on in the episodes. You get a little bit of investigation as to who he is, and we do meet him by the end of the second episode. But, yeah, uh, it's, been, it's been really good. Been really it's been a it. nice little... Uh, podcast actually a nice mm-hmm. little story well we know that you love marvel you love uh old wolvie well, most likely and you love podcasts definitely because you're listening to us right here so it makes sense go check it out and you, you get a month free just make sure you tell them that you are a fellow defender by using our promo code defenders we like to give back so we're sharing the love Absolutely. And of course, remember to subscribe, rate and share the love and sharing the Defenders TV podcast. Please head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and click any of your favorite subscribe uh, buttons to subscribe to your favorite podcast catcher. Because, of course, we are here with season two of Jessica Jones and our current crossover event, Doctor Strange Damnation um, at that crossover event with three other fantastic podcasts involved in that as well. Just head on over to Defenders TV Podcast uh, and check out the podcasts in that series. Yes, we'll also be reviewing Avengers Affinity War on most likely the week of release. So keep your eyes peeled for that. It's coming very soon. So yes, fingers crossed we have no dead heroes by the end of this movie. But I don't think so. Anyway, <laughs> jumping on to a happy note. Yes. Should we get some feedback for episode one to four? Yes. Derek, fire up the engines. <laughs> yeah, our first piece of feedback comes in from Dave from the Comics in Motion podcast. Hey, guys. It's Dave from over at the Comics in Motion podcast. Just wanted to drop you a quick uh, voicemail and say how much I love the show. It's always the first place I come to when uh, when a new Netflix series drops. 
Uh, I'm getting towards the end of the series myself, and I, I just wanted to comment on Rachel Taylor's performance. I think the the range of emotions she shows throughout the series is is honestly quite amazing to be to be frank there. So probably not the Hellcat I was expecting. Um, maybe, maybe the one one I deserve. Um, but anyway, just wanted to say great work, guys. Keep it up. Catch you later. Thanks so much for that feedback, Dave. Really good to hear from you. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Dave. And yes, I think the glimpse of Hellcat in this episode is pretty cool. You know, we do see a, um, taking a bit of snuff, I suppose, uh, through her inhaler. And, uh, yeah. So interesting to see how that goes. We have postulated the appearance of Hellcat. Mm hmm. Cheers for the feedback, Dave. Really appreciate it. Yeah, loving the range of what we're seeing from this actress. And fingers crossed we actually get the Hellcat that we want, also need, by the end of this. You're probably ahead of us, so you know more. But as of right now, at the end of episode five, we are definitely starting to see a more feisty pussycat. Yes, definitely. Wow. Yes, and with that scratching of kitty litter, we move on to... Our feedback from our Facebook group. Um, Jim Carrey goes, okay, my thoughts. Number one, opening theme. Is it different? I found myself liking it a little more than season one, but I'll probably skip past it for almost all the other episodes, as is my habit. Thank you, Jim. Absolutely. Are you a, a skipper of the opening titles or are you not? What <laughs> is your preference on Netflix? Uh, but it is the same theme tune uh, as season one, but it's been over two years since you heard it. So, uh, yeah, it is definitely the same theme. Though. Moving on to Jim's second point. I didn't think Chang was an a-hole, although I thought JJ was her usual a-hole self and he just pushed back. Of course, Jessica was tailing him. I'm sure there's more to him than meets the eye, uh, and I'm sure we'll find out more in episode one. Probably powered. Ooh, that's a little bit of a theory there, I think, from from Jim. Interesting. Um, yeah, I wonder what power it is. Maybe it's a holiness um, or something to that effect. <laughs> but yeah, nice little theory, and we'll keep uh, an eye on uh, Mr. Cheng. Yes, Jim, and just remember, they prefer gifted just saying apparently from the last episode they prefer gifted moving on jim's third point super you're the weakest human i've known yes exactly i don't care if she's our hero he's absolutely right and would be the last person picked on my team if i was picking one yeah well yeah that was fairly harsh words by by chang indeed um but certainly um jessica is dealing with a lot of issues here there are moments of weakness in her strength. Point four, I guess the word powered is a thing now, as is the term damn skippy. Yeah, episode one, it was all about powered. Episode four, it was all about uh, gifted. So, um, yeah, it does move around a bit, as it, did in, as it did in season one, which caused our original discussion, Chris. <laughs> yeah, Jim goes on to say, the movie on the roof or whatever, super horrible directing, I think, could not tell where they were, how the movie was playing, why there was no audio, and damn it, how did Trish get out? It's not a meaningless detail. We already know she's being followed. It could have been the start of her getting attacked in some way. This is a poorly executed scene all round. I did wonder how Trish got off uh, that rooftop. Mm. Um, Jim continues on with, so Jessica gets powers, what, 17 years ago, and this wizard guy gets powers whenever, and they both, by narrative anyway, happen in the same place by some evil corporation that still has an active presence in some of their subjects' lives. Yeah, I think we're, that's a setup for the rest of the season. I think we're going to find out more about that as we go along. And as we already have by this stage, by episode five, uh, these are just Jim's thoughts on episode one um, so far. Absolutely. And finally, Jim says, me, wizard, and something else sure looks like a lizard man. I think every one of that first barrage of potential clients was onto something. 
Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I know we talked about uh, about those individual clients uh, in the first episode and what we thought they meant. Uh, but definitely share your thoughts about uh, about the previous episodes. That's cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for your thoughts on uh, episode one, Jim. That's, uh, there's some interesting ones in there. We did talk about uh, some of the pieces where Jessica was interviewing people about the cases that she could possibly be taking, which I think is the, the reference there to uh, Lizard Man. Um, I think that's a reference to an 80s movie. But uh, but yeah, definitely share your thoughts about, uh, about episode one and the rest of the episodes as you go. Uh, Jeff Childs also went over to our Facebook group. He says, I'm digging the film noir vibe, voiceovers, hard drinking, and actual detective work. Well, that's what we've come to expect from Jessica. So yes. I'm really glad that's back for this season. Yes, Jim was back for episode four, where he actually gave us more feedback over on our Facebook group, on which he went on to say, episode four, in which people finally started answering their phones. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. This, It's a problem. I tell my mother this every day. I'm like, it's a mobile phone. It goes with you. It's in the name of it. It is mobile. But anyway, let's continue on. Jim then went on to say, previous episode. Jeez, does no one have a super emergency code like 911 in the States? <laughs> and when you really need to tell your BFF that her life is danger, don't you just send a bloody text message? Let alone a vague call me voicemail? <laughs> Yes, Jim, completely understand where you're coming from. All I have to say is narrative storyline. Do you know what I find really funny? One of the first teasers that the Facebook page for Jessica Jones Season 2 put out was a whole gag about the fact that nobody answers their phones. It is basically everybody trying to catch Jessica and not being able to catch her or her phone running out of battery or um, she just having two second calls with people. So they, they knew this themselves when they were making the show that this would become a bit of a joke. So they're definitely aware of it. Yes. And it's fun. It, it's well, like you, you can't set up suspense with, hold on, I'm on the phone. Oh, no, I've got another call coming in now. Mm-hmm. And then you just have this one-sided conversation on a phone. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't work for TV. It's not yeah, as but exciting I know where you're coming from. In real life, it is annoying. Yeah, <laughs> it is the problem of mobile phones. Um, mm-hmm. Because you can never be in the dark about anything, potentially. Thank you, Jim. Uh, on to our final bit of feedback from Ronaldo. I just have to ask, Malcolm, when looking through his Tinder, stops at a beautiful young woman, 27, named Marlene. Could this be the one in the same Marlene from Moon Knight, Mark Spector's future partner? It certainly could. Um, but I reckon we should probably wait and see to see whether it is. And we know Marlene disappears after yeah. her first meeting with, uh, with Malcolm. There's somebody else in his apartment later on that day. So uh, so you never know. It is a Marlene, um, an unusual dame in the Marvel Universe. So yeah. it might be. I think, well, Malcolm's going through all the M's, to be honest, uh, at this rate. <laughs> well, he doesn't remember her name. So he'll, even if she does turn back up, um, he won't remember who, what her name was anyway. So. Exactly. Um, Ronaldo goes on to say, Jessica's anger issues are slowly simmering, as shown when she punches a hole through Scott's car hood. We need to see Danny Rand so he can teach Jess how to center her chi. I think that would be pretty good, to be honest. And finally, so much to love about this episode. The role reversals of Griffin and the Super. I'm liking the flawed Forger now, and my suspicions of Griffin are understandably increasing. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely loving Hogarth's story. Carrie on Moss deserves credit for her performance. Ice cold, but we still feel empathy. Amazing. The discovery of Inez as a nurse and the haunting parallels between Hanson and Jessica are intriguing. Trish with the inhaler loved how her vision altered. Brilliant touch. Cheng trying to poach Malcolm, then his ploy to steal info from Jessica. Overall, there are so many moving parts to each episode that is consistently has me glued to the screen. Very different from the other Netflix shows which rely on action and pace to promote entertainment. This season of Jessica Jones relies on interactions between an expanded but always interesting cast. Thank you, Ronaldo. I think this has been really um, sort of expansive in in how it's looking at all the characters that certainly we knew from season one, but certainly I think they're being fleshed out here. And of course, without the presence of the all-powerful, all-controlling Kilgrave, I suppose maybe we get a sense more of their free will as well, Yeah, uh, which is really interesting. Thank you very much, fellow Defender Ronaldo. And yes, to all our fellow Defenders, thank you for those who have sent in feedback so far. And yes, for those of you who haven't sent any feedback, don't worry, we want to hear all your thoughts, so make sure you go over to DefendersTVPodcast.com 
click on where you want to give us feedback. You can leave a voicemail. I can go to our Facebook group or on Twitter. Wherever you want to give us your feedback, don't send it over. Um, make sure it's just marked for which episode you are talking about. We want to hear from you. But gentlemen, I think it's about time we kick off into episode five. Derek, do you want to give us some of the episode details? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, episode five of Jessica Jones season two, aka The Octopus, was written by Jamie King. Uh, she wrote two episodes of season one of Jessica Jones, uh, wrote aka Sinbin with Dana Barata, and was credited writer on aka Smile, the season one finale. So uh, some quite serious credits there. Those two episodes were huge. I remember one of them being a little bit controversial on our review, um, but definitely an enjoyable episode for me. Uh, the episode was directed by Millicent Shelton. Uh, Millicent has been working in uh, TV for many, many years. Got tons of directing credits right back from the Bernie Mac show in 2005, My Name is Earl in 2009, uh, three episodes of The Flash and an episode of Marvel's Runaways quite recently. So already worked in the Marvel Universe before, but first time on Netflix. I loved My Name is Earl. Absolutely loved it. <laughs> That's the one you picked out? Yes. <laughs> I know, but I have to hold one thing against her. She did four episodes of the show, Everybody Hates Chris. That is not true. I'm Aww. pretty sure there's some defenders out there that love me. So, we love no, Chris. Not everybody hates Chris. <laughs> yeah, not at all. We love you, Chris. And even not every- It was a good show. And even not everybody hates Chris Rock, either. No. <laughs> and no one hates Chris Jones. No. They'll love you. Exactly. John. Aww. love you. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis? Sure. Jessica Jones is in police custody and backed into a corner, accused of the murder of Nick Spanos, one of Cheng's associates. With nowhere to go, she is persuaded by Jerry to tell the truth to the police and share her intel on the killer at loose. One of the detectives questioning her, Eddie Costa, who remembers the Kilgrave incident in his precinct, believes her story and releases her. Jessica promises to keep Costa informed as she continues to investigate. Elsewhere, having been bailed from custody, Trish struggles with the aftereffects of using the IGH inhaler. A groggy Trish tries to pull herself together with the help of her mother, Dorothy, for an important appointment that turns out to be a proposal from her boyfriend, Griffin. But Patsy turns him down and in the aftermath of her decision, takes another puff on the IGH drug. Meanwhile, Malcolm, who is taking care of Inez Green, takes her to Jerry, who agrees to place her in a safe house. But Jerry, with thoughts on her current medical condition, has ulterior motives, as she asks Inez about the types of experiments conducted by IGH. Following up on the leads by Inez, Jessica meets with a former janitor at IGH, David Kowacki, who is now an inmate at a mental hospital, serving time for the murder of Green's fellow nurse, who was killed by the mysterious woman. Jones learns of a shared interest in octopi that Koeki has with a doctor called Dr. Carl Malice. Jessica stakes out the aquarium until one day she recognises the doctor, who she remembers from IG-8, just after her accident. But he is not alone. As Jessica closes in, the two suspects recognise her, and Dr. Carl's companion smashes the aquarium glass to make their escape from Jessica. Yes, Mission Impossible style, wasn't it? Was a bit, yes. Yeah. Gentlemen, that was a smashing finale of the episode. Should we jump <laughs> into our case notes? <laughs> case note one. Jessica shares most of her knowledge about her case and that investigation that she's doing with the police mm. that are holding her in custody. Yeah, yeah, that was all at the uh, hands of Jerry pushing her and telling her that this is the only way she's going to get out of prison. I thought it was quite interesting that she's going to be facing 18 months if she didn't do this. She could have been in prison for 18 months. That would have made the show pretty poor, wouldn't it? It would have. It's kind of like, <laughs> hey, we're in jail. A year and a half later, uh -huh. Jessica gets free. Although I would like to see the perp walk. That would be amazing. <laughs> but you know the typical like Alcatraz where you have people leaning out the bar? Oh, yeah. Like screaming at her, you put me in here, blah! be kind of more of a purple is the new black then, wouldn't it? Yeah, but see, we've already seen prison with Luke Cage. True. I didn't think they were going to go that way. Yeah. But I'm so happy. I'm loving Jerry. This yeah, is fantastic. Starting from this uh, multiple scenes in the prison. Or the, 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 the police station, I should say. Mm -hmm. This This is the... Jerry, that's getting interesting. This is, she's getting through to Jessica and we start seeing changes in Jessica from this. And I'm, I kind of, 
I remember in the previous episodes, I've been a bit back and forth on Jerry's changes and where they're going with this and how it's going to affect the overall series and mm-hmm. the character as a whole. Um, this was cool because the, the, the most powerful scene in this outside of Costa. Okay. Well, it was a blink and you miss it. Jessica looking under the table, seeing the trash can and sliding <laughs> it with her foot to Jerry. Yeah. And it was just like, it was like the olive branch mm-hmm. of like, I was like, oh my God, are they becoming besties? Yeah. It was the Vom bucket of friendship was, was passed between them. <laughs> All right. I do like this because it does make, uh, it is interesting to see Jessica actually realizing that she's not the center of the world at the moment. There is a huge amount going on and Jerry's quite good at, at realizing there is a huge amount going on. Jessica's in prison, but she's kind of going, I still have a hell of a lot of important stuff in my own life going on. If you're not willing to work with me, I'm out of here. Um, and that's kind of the moment that Jessica realizes she is working for her. She's actually doing a job for her and she's dying. She's got something else really important that's going on in her life. So, uh, yeah, no, I did, I did really enjoy the interaction between the two of those in, in this episode. And Jerry is, is top quality always. Oh, absolutely. Like Jerry is representing here, uh, and not just Jessica Jones. I think, uh, She's absolutely fantastic. Um, and I'm really, really enjoying her storyline. Um, for sure. And like you were saying, it is that parallel between the two of them, especially in this moment where, um, you know, Jessica goes, I'm on my own and, and, uh, Jerry re- responds to her only if you keep alienating everyone around you. Yeah. And it, it really is almost like that moment where Jerry speaks from her own experience, especially given the situation that she's in. As you say, she's representing Jessica. She's still working, yet she's also trying to deal with um, everything that is going on here. The one thing I really, though, do like it's an early sign of validation of your theory, Derek, about what Jerry will do knowing that she's got a terminal illness. Uh, there is that moment in the jail when when Jessica is telling the cops everything she knows where she mentions about experiments on IGH mm-hmm. and you get a fantastic camera pan into to Jerry whose eyes suddenly light up, suddenly perk up, and you can see her dying to to know more. Sorry, no pun intended, of course. Uh, <laughs> dying to know more about the experiments that IGH um, has has done, and of course, which play out later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it is a really good scene with uh, with Carrie Amos. Um, you can just tell that moment where she's just grasping onto that, going. Effectively, Jessica is telling the story about the person that ruined her life, the people that ruined her life and many other people and killed many people. And the reaction from, as always, Jerry Hogarth is, what can they do for me? Oh, this could be a way out for me. This could be a fix for me. It's it's just perfectly played. And it's just a look in the eyes. It's really good. And um, the other moment that I really enjoyed in this is, as you mentioned in your synopsis about, about Costa, um, the guard that's in there. Um or the detective that's in there. I like the fact that he is someone from her past. We don't actually see him in that previous episode. The the entire episode that they're talking about was where uh, Kilgrave had walked in, made all of the cops point guns at each other, and then made them think it was all a joke, that it was uh, something that hadn't happened. And what he's saying is after that point, he just had nightmares of him pointing his gun at himself. Knew Jessica was involved somehow, but didn't really know how. And that after Kilgrave had been killed, the dreams end. It's this kind of answers your question last week, John, or last episode, I think, um, where you talked about the kid, could he still be pissing up against the fence who was left by Kilgrave there uh, a year ago? Uh, turns out, no, it looks like everything went back to normal after the death of Kilgrave. So that's, that's at least good news. This is helping me with the, the problem I've had with the series. And I haven't really voiced because it's kind of only been uh, come to me over the last while, crystallized, I should say, is that with every con, there is a pro, okay? So, what we're seeing, what we saw with Luke Felice, and a quote, unquote, uh, f- see all the vigilantes as, uh, vigilantes. They, they should, they're doing their job. And it, we touched on this before, and like how Misty has talked about it. So now we can see, originally it was just Misty then. Misty Knight was the person uh, mm-hmm. in Defenders and Luke Cage who, actually started understanding that the police cannot handle all situations. 
super-powered individual, gifted people can, or can handle certain situations. And what we're hearing here from Costa is, it's not just Costa and Misty. There are other officers who know what Jessica did, who understand that the police can't handle all situations. You do need the Avengers. You do need mm-hmm. the, the Green Guy. You need street-level heroes for hire. And that's kind of why I'm in this enjoying world, this. Yeah. They're yeah. setting up some foundations here that, I, in, in my opinion, if we get a Defenders 2, which I'm assuming we will, if we get additional um, series coming on, we'll get some form of liaison between the street-level heroes and the cops. And although that makes some of these police scenes kind mm-hmm. of null and void, because in theory they'll be we're helping the police, it doesn't cancel them out because we've seen what happened in the comic books with Daredevil and uh, the police and the, the courts, and it, we still have lots of potential avenues. I just like this kind of, hey, you're not alone. And that seemed to resonate on Kristen Ritter's face as the actress, as Jessica Jones, when Absolutely. he said that. she, You could see the... And again, this is yeah. why I love Kristen Ritter as this role. You can see the... Mm-hmm. I'm not alone. Oh, people care and thank me. Again, it comes back to this whole killer piece, but we can get to that later, and I, the, it will come up. But I just love that scene, and I love that she took the card, and she does call him later. So it was just a person I think it was fantastic. Yeah, I know that was really good. Um, but certainly one person who isn't a killer, mm. uh, moving on to our second case note, it's not Griffin. He's not a bad guy. Shocker, um, everybody. I think everybody from all, everybody that's given our feedback, everybody's been listening to our episodes, everybody's on our Facebook group, all of us throughout the last couple of episodes. We see Griffin on a computer just after she's looking at the, uh, Trish is looking at the IGH story and he's downloading stuff off it. We see him make a surreptitious call in the middle of the night when she goes for a shower. He's organizing an engagement party. Yes, absolutely. He's a good guy. He's Lord Fauntleroy. He's not the, controller of a superstar destroyer or something (laughs) like that in the end the thing about this that i was going when it all kind of transpired because you know you've got trish turning up effectively whacked off her face from the igh um at least you know she's slept for 26 hours Mm -hmm. her mom is questioning um whether she's back on the juice again or, or sort of the powder you know she's powdering her nose a little too much here um you know she's saying i recognize uh the look of an addict i've had to hold your hair you know from going down the toilet plenty of times in the past and you know She's kind of not in the best place to receive a public uh, bend of one knee, you know, and a proposal for for marriage. And, you know, I was kind of slightly, oh, no, she didn't accept when when she finally kind of takes Griffin to one side and says, uh, you know, answers his question about whether thank you is a yes and um, because that's all she says and um i was kind of like okay trish because i was thinking you know is it because she's taken the igh inhaler she does give an explanation she about does, yeah. um the fact that you know she she got there and she wanted to be him not be married to him she was the person where the story was more important uh, than he was mm-hmm. and so in the end she decides not to but i was kind of it just felt somewhat at odds to me just on the basis that you know a couple of episodes ago she's going i really do love him but ultimately she has been affected by this igh and um, okay. inhaler use and so i just wondered whether that was pushing her her decision here but i like the fact that he he wasn't a baddie i'm glad that they Played on that prejudice. Yes, it's the very first uh, instance of a British man in a suit not being evil in cinematic history. <laughs> Who knew? Not true. Alfred's not evil. Alfred's not British. <laughs> Pretty sure. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Alfred's always been British. <laughs> Maybe, is he? Because you see that like the whole Alfred... T- okay, I just always assumed like, he was born an old man. He was made an old man. But, you know, okay. Well, these things happen, people. You know me. I I know some things of uh, 
DC lore, but I know that like Alfred's the Joker, and that's about it. <laughs> you watched The Flash? <laughs> I love this. Okay, look, we all knew it was either going to be he was a bad guy or a good guy. It was a nice twist that it wasn't just him snooping and being turning out to be the bad guy, the, the British bad guy in a suit. It was that he did care for her. He will be back, I'm pretty sure. They'll pop him in and out, and the question is then, does she overcome this mounting addiction, if we want to call it that, by the end of this season to be back with him? Trish's actual emotions um, seem to be at issue here. Um, and like we, So we can see the beginning of this snappy, uh, addic- addiction-filled Trish in this episode, where she slaps her mother. Mm-hmm. And then again, what we can see is that beautiful reaction by the actress in terms of, what did I just do? And like it, again, yeah. this this annoys me sometimes. Why we don't have best supporting actress in an, in a TV within a streaming show? Because the Emmys sometimes don't do that. They 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 class mm. TV as TV. The the acting in this is phenomenal. That's great. And yeah, I like why they're taking the character big time. This is what we wanted. This is the Hellcat. Like yeah. that's we are getting the well, origin of Hellcat. We called it out in the last episode. This is essentially it. She's going to become powered. The question becomes, does some form of getting off it stay within her system? Does she? Does it linger? Like, we don't know because Simpson was killed. Yeah. Um, is there a better version where it's more permanent? Things like that. Like, I'm interested to see where it goes. Exactly. But at this point, I don't want to belabor in terms of her being the uh, the addict because it's only just begun. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing is, if Griffin's not a bad guy. It's episode five. We've still got eight more episodes to go. Well, so that is true. It is entirely possible that this was a bit of a plan from him as well. Um, I'm not too sure. I really liked the idea of ambushing her in front of all of her friends and family and saying the reason why I put you here was because. I need your answer to be yes, and you won't say no in front of all these people. I thought that was a bit harsh. Yes, I think my notes said he should really have done it privately. Probably, yeah. It's a a moment for you and your your future uh, partner. Exactly. It would have kind of been less embarrassing for both. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I'm really pleased that they're taking Trish here. And, you know, she's, she's been that kind of bedrock for, for Jessica and they're inf- potentially inflicting her with an addiction that will, will absolutely make that crumble. Mm. I'm really hoping they go that way because I think that is a kind of nice seesaw within this, this series. If, if, if they go down that route, and I think, um, it's, it would be really good to see, but she's certainly, uh, wanting to get hands on that puffer, uh, a fair few times. Uh, you know, she's takes another one because it helps her with that groggy sort of down element of, of um, post IGH inhaler mm-hmm. use. I think another shout out here has to be for Trisha's mum, uh, Dorothy. I thought she was really excellent here. And I know Derek, you pointed this out when we were watching it. The slap that is given to Dorothy by Trish, um, is just really fantastic. Um, she takes the inhaler again soon after that, kind of to pep her up to, to go, uh, when she's kind of uh, ambushed by Griffin f- yeah. with the proposal. But, um, yeah, Dorothy is excellent. There's a nice bit of framing here. I love Rebecca DeMornay in the show. I think she's been fantastic so far. Uh, can I just point out just one slight difference that I have with you guys? I don't think that the IGH thing has anything to do with why Trish turned down the proposal from Griffin. I think she had a moment of realisation. I think she's completely clear in her head as to why she doesn't want to be with him. It kind of feels like those are two different storylines that they're given to the character. They just happen to happen in the same day that she's got... Yeah, I can, I can see where you, what you're saying there. It, yeah. It's just the reason why I'm, why I'm thinking that is because uh, Rebecca DeBorne's Dorothy is pushing her into this situation going, he's the right guy for you, you have to have him, he's got all the money, he's got a great career effectively you can just be at home and live your life and be married to him and she's already said to him before she doesn't want to be his girlfriend she wants to be herself with him she did say that in the last episode when he was trying to offer her a job working in the same company that he was working in he she basically said to him 
I don't want to be the person that's known as your girlfriend. So it's not coming out of nowhere is just where I want to make the distinction between between those two stories. She has already said to him that she's not very happy with him. But yeah, no, I definitely can see that. I think um, we would have just all loved a good celebrity wedding. <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. And I, I, I like it. But let's wear, see how these stories intertwine. There will be a form of intertwining of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I agree with you. Um, should we move on to the next point, gentlemen? Um, Absolutely. Our case note number three. Inez is in protective custody. Mm, yes. And she yeah. likes to smash TVs. <laughs> well, I nearly wanted to smash my TV to get at her when she said that. <laughs> I was like, you do not destroy a man's TV. <laughs> This was a very fun Absolutely. Thing. The the scene well one, we get to see Malcolm interview her like Jessica would. Yes. But in his own style. So we can see the associate in Alias Investigations uh, really taking on his role. Mm-hmm. What I really enjoyed then is he's able to control the situation where Jessica's probably rubbing her up the wrong way is the best way of putting it, um, sends her off. But then we see his version of the Jessica P.I., where he says, bait in the yes, water. Um, I think I'm paraphrasing, but he basically calls her, fine, we'll yeah, make you the, the bait, bait in the, the water. water. That's fantastic. This We see Malcolm is becoming, he's taking parts of both. Mm, I think he's taking a lot of Jessica. I think this is part of where his issues are starting to come in, uh, to be honest. I, I love these scenes. I think they're really, really good. But I think uh, what we're seeing here is Malcolm doing what, effectively, what would Jessica do? Uh, is what he's saying to himself in all of these scenes. He's a lot harsher than he was in earlier episodes this season, and a lot harsher than he was in season one, even when he was getting clean. Um, if he, it, it kind of, there's a moment when Inez is being dropped off by him to Jerry, uh, where she turns around yeah. and goes, "You're the worst kind of person," um, and I think part of that is. It's not something that would have been said to him in the past, I suppose. Uh, it feels like that's Jessica rubbing off her bad habits on him because he's been observing her for so long and been working with her for so long that he thinks this is the only or the best way to interrogate somebody. Uh, and that's Jessica's way to do it. Yeah, I think you can see in that moment Malcolm's face slightly drop at being told that. I think in season one and certainly at the start of this season, he prides himself on being a friendly guy and and trying to help people. And now he's kind of being cruel to be kind, to help them. He's doing what Jessica does, but maybe it sits slightly uncomfortably. Um, And yeah, I mean, that was a really telling moment. I have to say, I absolutely loved Inez Green. Um, I thought she was so good. I loved her and Malcolm together. It just felt like the odd couple a bit. Um, You know, she's breaking his TV. um, She is like, I'm just trapped in a hellish flashback. Um, She's under the protection of of, of Malcolm. And I like that moment where, as you say, Chris, he's trying to interrogate her, find out the information. But I, I think um, that moment where she turns around and says you're the worst kind of person, it's like, you know, that's really interesting to say that of Malcolm. You know, everyone loves Malcolm. He, he's mm-hmm. a really good guy. So what is she seeing or what does she think from her point that she is seeing here? And I, I think, you know, um, it could be a really interesting thing that you say there, Derek, that, you know, maybe he's taking on a lot of Jessicaisms in mm. terms of how she conducts herself as a PI. Um, you know, but she is also pretty perceptive. I love the moment that she turns to Jerry and says, what do you want? Um, why am I suddenly here in this fantastic apartment after being in the apartment where you've got the urine soaked elevator? Yeah. You know, and I think she's a really, she's, she's weird. She's a bit kooky, but she's perceptive and she's clever. You know, she used to be a nurse. Um, but she's been on the streets surviving. So she's probably got a heightened sense of trust or, you know, that kind of thing. She maybe spots danger or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, um, or should I say a heightened sense of who she can trust? Right, okay. Um, I was and, wondering. Yeah, and I, I, trust, I trust people more because you've lived on the streets. But I just loved the interaction that she had. It was just making me smile. Mm-hmm. 
I hope we see more of her in um, episode six, to be honest, and, and the rest of the series, because I really like this character. I think she's she's kind of mixed it up a bit for me um, with with Malcolm mm-hmm. to start to make you question uh, this character. And I think it's 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 really, really good. And and she's calling Jerry out. Uh, right from the start you know what do you want yeah what is in it for you so i just cannot say how much i liked inner's green in this and i didn't think that was going to be the case yeah yeah i definitely i agree with you i think there's some great moments here uh, one of the things that stood out to me about their interaction is when she's taking the television from malcolm and he's giving her the directions of what you really should do if you want to pawn a television you have to take the serial number off and the, the closest place to his apartment is about 20 blocks away. He gives her the address and everything, which I think gives him as a clue of his history. And I think that's part of the reason why she, again, is attacking him when they get over to Jerry's house, because she knows his history, because she knows that he's sold every bit of his property in his house because he was an addict. He's effectively given her all that information, that just that one little conversation. So that's why I think they're, they're rubbing up against each other as well as him using Jessica's tactics on her as well. So I, I think Jerry's comment and Inez's comment just as Malcolm's leaving will affect him. He'll find his how to be his own PI if you right. will. Like uh, he, he he tried a Jessica move. It worked, but maybe he went too far down the Jessica mm. route. Um anyway, but so that's on that. On Jerry and the IGH. Yes. This answers so many questions. Carrie Ann Moss played it fantastically because she started being slightly flirtatious when she was sitting down and you could see it in comparison to some of her other uh, in season one where she, she was flirting with her secretary, etc. Yeah. Um, she, she was uh, petting her leg and patting her own leg, I should say. Jerry was uh, kind of crossing her legs and kind of trying to be seductive. We've seen that with her Secretary in, as I said, season mm. one. Um, being bluntly called out on it, I thought was great by Innes. Yes. And then when we get to, okay, I want you to tell me everything. We now know where Jerry is going. Definitely. How this ends, I think is interesting. What will happen in the next episode when she understands that you need to die in order to be brought right. back? Will we get a superpower, Jerry? <laughs> Super Jerry, if you will. Maybe. Um, again, I'm interested. It's fun playing with our preconceived notions of the parts that these characters will play. Mm. So they've said, basically said, no, you, you know, all these characters that you remember from season one? No, no, no. They're actually more nuanced. Yes. And I like that because we've had people who go, oh, it's the same stuff as season one. It's just a different case. I'm seeing that online. Really? That's fine. You can find like, anything online, Chris. You, you have a great, great I, I Google ability. The, in- the internet is a special place. <laughs> it is. Um, <laughs> speaking of the internet being a special place, um, on the internet you can find monsters with tentacles playing the piano. In this show, you too can find monsters playing piano. Absolutely. Uh, case note number four. Yes. Are we assuming it's Meathead at this point? Maybe. I, I think everything's up for grabs yeah. right now. This is definitely a monster because she did kill one of Cheng's associates at the end of the last episode. Uh, the monster arriving back to her place and burning all of her clothes in a fire pit. Um, and then, yeah, playing piano. I think this is one of the creepiest scenes I've seen uh, on the show <laughs> where she's playing the piano and a young woman is walking past or coming in from next door with her child and saying, can we sit? And because my child seems to not cry when you play piano. Boy, is that child crying by the time she gets <laughs> yeah. to the end of the song. Wow. That will teach her for being a nosy neighbor. You know, <laughs> she shouldn't have walked in there. Um, yeah. It, being a nosy neighbor. <laughs> it is wonderfully creepy um, from just, the music that's playing, um, Peggy Lee, Ain't We Got Fun, you know, to, you know, you kind of get a sense that the monster relaxes initially with the lady and her baby. You know, she holds the baby, hands it back. She seems to want to um, help the baby yeah. relax. And that seems to be happening. And, <laughs> and then it, it just... Um, 
doesn't relax and uh, I love the fact that it gets you know she bangs the keyboard and then smashes this grand piano um you know into pieces so that she can have a second pit fire um I love the fact that you know the opening of this is her chucking all those documents that Cheng's associate had stolen from from Jessica Jones's apartment mm. uh, and then here um she's in the middle of the night, chucking bits of broken piano into the fire pit. Um, yeah, it was a great little um, moment. It, it's just that unsettling aspect of the the mother and child sat in the presence of this monster. Absolutely. With superpowers, super strength, and a really short fuse. Yeah. Mm. Um, it, as you guys said, it was creepy as hell. Yeah. Like, I, I, I was expecting, like, when the, the piano was being uh, thrown into the fire pit, I was expecting some of the clothes that the mother was wearing thrown onto the fire. Like, that's how creepy mm. they had got it, which was interesting. I'm like, okay, so now we know there is potentially a limit and that this monster, whoever she may be, um, has... Some form of control and emotions. But does she? The, the mother and baby got out of the house very fast. And I think yes. they may have saved their own lives by doing that. Um, I get the feeling that she's been around a long time. They say that they met at a, at a what was it, a car boot sale kind of thing um, a couple of months ago. So they know each other. They've met each other before. So she's not new to the area or anything like that. The monster, she's been living there a while. So they do kind of know her, but they take the understandable cue that something is going on with her um, as she starts to play the piano faster and louder and faster and louder until she smashes it. But they definitely get out of the house. Um, it's, not, it's not that she releases them because she's still smashing the piano as they're leaving. So she acts like potentially she does not know who they are, even though when the, the neighbour goes, hey, we met before. Yeah, yeah. So... I do that all the this... time with my neighbors. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do I, but that's just living in apartment blocks. Mm-hmm. No, I meant more. This person could be a shapeshifter, maybe of some kind, ah, and that would nice. explain how she's taken the form. She needs a wig, and that's why I think she is meat face potentially because imagine almost like Clayface in DC that they're able that normally they look all messed up and they're all. Uh, me facey mm-hmm. and then they're able to ship parts of them and kind of become other people but no hair so she puts on a wig so she's just actually taken over someone's house someone's life it's the scrolls again well yeah no no it's yeah, not the lizard just yet um but we do know she has emotions because going on to case note number five at the end of the episode we, and we can kind of work backwards at the end of the episode we see her Meeting Dr. Carl, mm-hmm. holding him as you would a potential partner, kissing yeah. him. Yeah. So we do know that there is a physical relationship because they kiss on the lips. Like there is a direct, there's, there's an assumption to be made that they are boyfriend or girlfriend or something there. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of went, she has rage and strength and she's stronger than Jessica and she's crazy. Yeah. But actually, she has enough to not kill a baby, and also she's in love with potentially the doctor that made her. Maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah. I, I see what you mean. Like I'd say, it's it seems like there's trigger points for her. Um, the baby crying is the trigger point that pushes her over the edge and, and makes her get angry and more and more angry uh, in the house. So there's definitely times when she's completely relaxed. Sure, she had that conversation with Jessica in the in the bar a couple of weeks ago. So. Um, so she's definitely able to be relaxed. She's not angry all the time. So um, I don't know whether it's just restraint, whether she's just holding that back, like the Hulk's always angry all the time. I don't know whether it's that or whether it's that something triggers her, like the screaming of a child. The Red Hulk. Maybe, maybe. Mm. Um, so, right, we've already kind of moved on to case note number five. So mm. let's jump in further and let's talk about uh, how... Basically, Jessica ends up in the aquarium 
at the end of this episode. Uh, we get to see Jessica pull on her favor, cash in her favor, if yes. you will, uh, on Oscar. And I was so hoping she'd go back and kind of go, hey, you know that date? Because I was expecting after the engagement party, mm-hmm. her to go back. And when she picked up the ID, um, which she asked Oscar to forge, uh, that she would go, and you know about that date? Let's do it. But, okay, we don't get that. We do get that lingering stare where she's looking at Oscar, his son, and his uh, mother. Yeah. Um, having a kitchen table. And I do start to, we're starting to see the cracks in Jessica's facade. Mm. Like this, this season, five episodes in, we're seeing, I wouldn't go as far as a maternal instinct. No, we're seeing Jessica willing to let people come in and willing to, to, to let Malcolm be an associate. Right. To, but uh, imagine, being nice and being with this guy who is called Oscar, who is just a human, and his son and his mother, and wanting that family aspect. You can see she wants it, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Letting Jerry, for example, like understanding where Jerry's coming from. Mm-hmm. So I, I really liked that. And so I, 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 yes, she skips the dinner, but I, I think that's more about the cracks are opening. I don't think the protective shell is fully. Disintegrated. Yeah, she's not. She's yeah. not there yet, certainly. But it, I think she's realizing when she's doing something wrong and something that's against what she should be doing. It's not that it's not the same thing wrong with saying no. I'm not going to stay for dinner with your family. But she's realizing that this is only hurting her, pretty much because of what Jerry said to her earlier on. She said to her, "If you keep pushing people away, you're going to be alone forever." And these are the moments that she's realizing she will be alone forever if people, just nice normal families, are asking her to stay for dinner who tend to like her. And then she pushes them away for no reason. Of course, th- th- those kind of moments work really well with Jessica. You can see she kind of wants it, but she doesn't quite know how to process it. Yeah. And it's kind of, that's what's keeping her back. So she kind of skips it. Um, and yeah, that was, that was a really nice touch. You kind of got a bit more of a sense of Oscar, um, as well. Mm-hmm. It was really good seeing inside Oscar's apartment. Um, you know, we have here, Artwork by David Mack, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, all the artwork is, is by David Mack. Uh, he does the portraits on the wall of Oscar's son. Uh, you see it quite closely up on up on the wall. Uh, he also does the credits for this season. Um, all, all of the credits that, that have been there for this season and the last. Uh, I believe he's done a few other paintings around the uh, around the episodes as well. But uh, but really good to see him. He's the cover artist for um, for. Jessica Jones, the series, which is all of the Alias Comets and the most recent uh, Jessica Jones series, does all of the covers for them, which are beautiful. They're really cool artwork, I must say. Um, and then there's another artist that does the internal artwork for for Jessica Jones, uh, Michael Galas. Yeah, it's really cool artwork. I'm going to jump in and actually agree with you on this, guys. Um, mm-hmm. But let's let's move away from the awesome Mr. Mac and uh, into the uh, the actual infiltration of the Crazy Ward. Yes. Um, I like the little play where they were like, hey, hold it up now. And he pulls the tag off Jessica. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and he goes, oh yeah, someone got blood all over it. I like that. It was fun because you got every viewer went, oh no, she's caught. Yeah. They, they did a nice play in it. I enjoyed more the actual interview scenes. Again, we see Jessica putting on the facade of, or impersonating or acting, whatever way you want to call it. Um, we saw this when she played the bimbo in season one. Mm-hmm. What I enjoyed here is she plays, she goes from hard to soft to hard to soft to direct. I kept thinking she would actually pull the, you remember me. I was the little girl, Jessica. Right. I, I thought that's where she would go. But no, she stays in character and she's able to, uh, to get the information that we're looking for. And she, we learn about, Dr. Carl. Um, and my God, I want to know his last name because I'm pretty sure he's going to be someone. Um, because, well, look, what, this is a tough one for me because there's no Easter eggs in this whole episode. Um, it, well, Marvel Easter eggs in this whole episode. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll clarify. I, well, so what did you think of that scene? I loved this scene with Jessica. Another moment where she's really open to speaking to someone who's in serious pain. Um, Koeki is, 
uh, diminished in some capacity. We don't really know. There's some stories that are out there that his IQ is in in the teens range. Um, what we hear from Inez before Jessica goes to meet him is that that's not true. He was a, a guy who wouldn't hurt a fly, but he's definitely diminished in some way. He keeps taking responsibility for a murder that Jessica even knows he can't have committed. Uh, but I like how strong she is with him when she needs to be. But she does, you can kind of see her heart breaking for him because he's here and doesn't need to be here. And obviously because someone in power has made sure he's been there. So, um, so I think Jessica's not going to be holding back with Dr. Carl when she meets him in the future because of what's happened to, to Koweki. And now that she's seen, seen him, I love those kind of scenes with Jessica, just where she's playing it really well. It's, you know, almost like the reverse of Silence of the Lambs where the timid one is on the inside of the jail cell and the, strong one is on the outside of the jail cell it's almost like that reverse uh, moment and i really enjoyed it um john yeah no I, I loved how jessica it felt like she was doing something different because she was she was being gentle she had to kind of tiptoe around yeah. this this interview with koeki because you know he's a bit he's delicate he i think Inez green says you know he wouldn't hurt a fly he's harmless but he's younger than his age and i really liked how she just played that out and and how you know she she's using her different skills i mean i do like the 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 fact that she's you know initially she's not wanting to teach malcolm anything and now that he's become an associate she's kind of going you know there's a lesson here or your first lesson today kind of thing she's now starting to teach him but she you know she plays to the the strengths of herself to be gentle and then to ask him to draw it so you know she finds out about dr carl in the end uh, and knows to go to the aquarium to stake it out to to keep watch to see if he is back there visiting because she knows that um you know he likes to go to to watch the octopus we also get the idea that maybe the the technology that is being used at igh is all based around um the octopus genes and, and dna maybe uh, that it you know the latin is for out of nowhere that there's no other dna like an octopus so it really really good um i really enjoyed this yeah. um definitely and i like ultimately where it leads to with the aquarium uh, and and spotting both dr carl and crazy lady uh together <laughs> looking uh at the fishies um but ultimately uh yeah you get that moment where they spot her and you know they do recognize her here as well yeah, you know dr carl calls out jessica and immediately the woman turns so um you know there is a shared history that shared past comes out here and i really liked it yeah yeah one of the touch i absolutely loved in this scene and it's just a simple one because so few shows do it jessica actually genuinely stakes out a location waiting for Dr. Carl to arrive. She's told in the conversation with Koweki that he's there every single day. But that doesn't necessarily mean the time of day that Jessica arrives. In every other TV show, it would have been that she walked down at one o'clock in the afternoon and he's just sitting there staring at the octopus. I like that she has to come back multiple days, probably three or four, I think, by the by the looks of things and the changes that are going on. It's not she walks in and he's there. You have to have that kind of time lapse. Um scenes to show that she is on a stakeout that she knows the place she's been there multiple times trying to find him and eventually she finds him because just no other show does it and it's just wrong it would never happen in real life so uh, just a, a nice touch to bring a little bit of reality to the show yeah and then we get the uh, non-reality the mission impossible reality if you mm-hmm. will with that beautiful shot of jessica turning away and running from uh, a soon-to-explode uh, aquarium glass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just I, I, I want to see her. I want to see that kind of what we remember from Mission Impossible, the nineteen nineties movie mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise, where it splashes out and you see her running. <laughs> it may not have been a fantastic Oscar-winning film. It was a fantastic scene. I have no problem with Mission Impossible, and Tom Cruise did that for real. It wasn't a special effect either, but uh, it did cost multiple millions um, to film and to shoot. So uh, I'd be very doubtful if we're going to get something as spectacular <laughs> as that, even 15 years on. <laughs> it's still loads of water uh, coming out of a building, which still probably cost the same amount as it did uh, 15 years ago when those movies started. Well, okay, I'll take you. I'll take your word on that. 
But of course, when there are octopuses, I think of Hydra. Uh, and that's all that was going through my head with Dr. Carl um, as he's watching these and as he's being known as the guy that looked as, looks at octopuses. I was kind of going, ooh, are they going to bring in some form of uh, some form of Hydra, some connected character to Hydra into the Netflix universe? Um, just wondering, just crossing my mind. But, uh, but we'll see who that might be uh, in a future episode, I'm sure. That would be cool. Yes, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but gentlemen, uh, I think that's all of our points as part of the case notes. Does mm-hmm. anyone have any other notes that they want to just slide in for this episode? Uh, nothing for this episode. Excited to get on to the next one, then. Yeah, it, it's almost like we're running away from an exploding window. I want to get there. <laughs> so let's uh, wrap up then, if you will. So, John, tell me, do you defend Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 5, a.k.a. The Octopus? I do. I give this four super ladies out of five. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I thought this really built nicely. Um, I, I like the continuation with Inez Green. And I have to say, she for me really was along with Jerry and along with Malcolm were really, really good here. Um, it really got me questioning, um, Malcolm, it really got me feeling for Jerry. Um, you know, being found out by Inez Green that, you know, she is really just being used by Jerry. I really, um, loved just seeing a bit more of, you know, the Dr. Hansen impersonator, the killer, um, singer in that setting, you know, in a house playing the piano in what seems like a suburban uh, area uh, with the neighbours coming in and that kind of all crashing around. I thought that was really nice contrast um, just to get a bit more and also then see that she has this connection with Dr. Carl uh, and they and that they seemingly both, at least certainly Dr. Carl does, um, recognise Jessica Jones when they see her in the aquarium. I thought that was really, really fantastic. Um, so absolutely defend this episode of jessica jones i think as well seeing trish um gradually sort of become more attached to this inhaler shall we say at this stage where it's almost a bit like a comforter i thought that was really really good it's a shame her and griffin maybe didn't get together but you know it's explained and griffin seemingly is now not a bad guy but we never know. This is the roller coaster of this series that we're on. He might pop up again later, but um, it'll be interesting to see if anything else happens there. And we get to find a little bit more about Oscar the Super uh, with his family. Uh, and, you know, you, you see that moment where uh, Jessica is really... You can sense that she wants to do something different, that she wants to build something. She, she really does. And I think that's kind of driven by, by Jerry calling her out that, you know, if she's not careful uh, and you alienate everyone, that you will ultimately find yourself uh, very lonely. Uh, and I, I think that really plays nicely with those scenes uh, in Oscar's apartment where she's calling in her favor. So yeah, absolutely defend this episode of uh, Jessica Jones. Derek, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones, AKA the octopus? Yeah, I give it eight limbs out of eight. Um, <laughs> no, I really like this episode overall. Uh, that's not a rating. I really did like the episode. I love the moments with, with Jerry and Jessica at the beginning of the episode. Uh, I love her punching a hole in the wall and calling back to the, um, to the anger management group. Uh, exactly the, the wording that they've given to her, how to handle her anger. Um, she is learning in this series. She's taking inspiration from other people and bringing it into her own life. Something that we, Sorry, being very standoff, uh, offish about throughout Defenders and, and Jessica Jones season one. So we are seeing some changes for Jessica in season two. I think she's realizing a lot more what she's missing by having her persona and cutting people off. I think she's kind of realizing it. And this is a good example of that in the episode. Loads of other great stuff going on uh, in there, but we've talked about all of that already. Uh, Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? I do, gentlemen. I, I, I'm going to kind of keep this quite short. Uh, I'm very happy with where the series is going. Uh, we're five episodes in. Um, I complained somewhat about the the Basil Exposition. I've said this in a lot of my reviews uh, going up to this point. Uh, in the last episode, and particularly this episode, 
we've seen that they, they've stepped away from that. The characters are growing. We're, they, they, they're changing what we, the expectations of what the assumptions of who these characters are and what they, what they do or how their place within this set world. Um, which is great. Um, it, it's, it's a good thing, uh, to mix things up in your second season. So I'm not going to complain. This was left on a cliffhanger for me. And if it was not for this podcast, I can see how people easily have jumped for many episodes in quite quickly. Oh, yeah. Um, they're building it up. They're building it to a crescendo. I want to get to the end of Act 1 because I want to know where Act 2 is going. Um, and typically, yeah, we've t- we're two episodes away from the end of Act 1. Uh, where Episode 7, at the end of Episode 7, they usually leave us on a nice wham. Uh, so I just want to get there now. So who is Dr. Carl? And who is the, the, the monster? So let's see. Uh, so yes, I completely defend this episode. Uh, gentlemen, I think that's everything. So remember, for all your feedback and for all your listing pleasures, head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com. Subscribe to your most drunken or most sober podcast catcher of choice. Or head to leave comments, discussion points, reviews, or ratings on any of our social media platforms. Uh, and of course, you can leave a voicemail too. We do like to hear voices, just not in our head. <laughs> um, but yes, we will be back as always with our Jessica Jones season two coverage where we're going to be looking at episode six. AKA FaceTime. Is mm-hmm. that kind of like face off, do you reckon? I think do it we... might be, I think it might be speaking to, uh, to Jim Carrey's point about nobody ever answering the phone. This time they're going to be all on FaceTime. Maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and of course we will be, um, releasing our Jessica Jones coverage, uh, bi-weekly, uh, moving forwards. And of course, running alongside Jessica Jones is our coverage of the Doctor Strange Damnations comics uh, with the podcast crossover event uh, with Iron Fist podcast, Into the Night podcast, and Inner Demons podcast. So please also come along and join us for that as well. But I think with that, as always, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. It's been a pleasure, uh, and we'll speak with you again next time. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again really soon. Yes, from the eponymous Mr. Jones, the Choney True Jones that you need to care about. Thank you so much, guys, and I'll speak to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.